Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 35. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll be looking at the Gospel of Mark, and I intend to go through the whole thing in this 20-minute session. Now you're going to say, hey, what's going on here? You spent 34 sessions essentially going through the Gospel of Matthew. Aren't you shortchanging our friend Mark a little bit by covering it in 20 minutes? And uh, perhaps so, but uh, there's a method to my madness. One reason why I'm going to cover it in one session is because you'll remember I said at the outset when we were going through Matthew that uh, about 80% of what is in Mark is also in Matthew. Matthew used Mark as a source. Okay. Um, secondly, as we were going through Matthew and covering all of these stories and sayings and parables and etc., where there was a difference um, or perhaps some additional details that Mark or Luke would have recorded, I would have given you um, those uh, different sayings. So, uh, Mark, in all fairness, Mark does go through some details, give us some details that are left out in Matthew's account and, and Luke's as well. But I would have already covered those, uh, most of them anyway, when we went through Matthew. So uh, that is one reason why we're not going to spend a lot of time on Mark. Mark's is the shortest of the Gospels by far. It's uh, probably about two-thirds the length of Matthew's. So um, anyway, also Ma Mark's account does not, it goes right to the heart of the matter. It picks up at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So there is no infancy stories of Jesus' birth um, and his traveling to you know Egypt or his growing up, that sort of thing, as there are in Matthew and Luke. So it's very short. Uh, we could consider it the action version of Jesus' life. That is to say, um, it, it covers in an almost uh, breathless uh, narrative speed the things that Jesus does. It definitely um, accentuates Jesus' actions over his words. So if you're looking for teachings, you know, you want to go back to Matthew, the, the book that we just looked at. So what I'm going to do is, is give you a little insight into Matthew the man and a little insight into his, uh, um, you know, any differences he had in approach as opposed to what we already covered in Matthew. So Mark the man, that is to say the man that the book of Mark is attributed to. Now, are we sure that the actual young man, Mark, uh, penned this? Uh, we can't be sure, but it's attributed to him. It is considered canonical. It definitely belongs in the book of inspired uh, readings, that the books of inspired readings that made their way into our canon of, of Scripture. Okay, but Mark was, this Mark was not one of the 12 apostles. Instead, uh, he was a disciple, you know, a helper or assistant of St. Peter. We read about that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. 
So uh, he followed Peter around, and many would call this an alternate name for this as the Gospel of Peter, because you can picture young Mark uh, sitting at the feet of Peter and and, uh, writing down the the stories that uh, Peter had told him. Um, This Mark gets around a little bit because he was also a friend and cousin of uh, St. Barnabas, Uh, We read that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And further yet, he was a traveling companion of St. Paul, and also Barnabas, on Paul's first missionary journey. We can read about that in Acts 13. So this guy sat at the feet of Peter. He traveled with Paul. The guy gets around. And though he wasn't one of the disciples, he was present for the uh, ministry of of Christ. He was a young guy, and he's thought to be probably the young man referred to in Mark chapter 14, verses 50 and 50, 50, excuse me, 51 and 52. And if that is the case, then he is the streaker of the New Testament. He got caught with his pants down, so to speak. Uh, Just as a quick explanation, you'll recall that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, the authorities came to arrest him and the authorities are just grabbing whoever they can grab. And uh, this young man, thought to be this Mark, the author of this gospel, uh, tried to run away, but it says there in verse 14, let's pick it up real quickly, it says that... Um, a young man followed him wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They, the authorities, seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. So that is one distinct... So if you ever get asked that question on Jeopardy, uh, who is it in the New Testament that was the uh, a streaker or ran away naked? The answer would be, you guessed it, Mark. Okay. So, um, picking up on where I, I said that uh, Mark was a, uh, a traveling companion of Paul on his first missionary journey, Mark, if he was this young man, um, I guess he may have been a little homesick. We don't know exactly why, but he did have a falling out with St. Peter, and they separated. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15, verse 37, and they went away, or, or excuse me, uh, Mark went away. Um, they and, and this caused a problem between Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas. They were great friends. But when it came time for Paul to go on his second missionary journey, uh, Barnabas was going to go with him and said, hey, let's take young Mark with us. And Paul said, hey, forget it. That loser, he he, uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, it doesn't actually say that in Scripture. But Paul said, no way. He deserted us the first time, and I'm not going with him. And Barnabas said, well, okay, well, then you go your way and I'll go mine, which was probably better for the uh, universal church anyway, because now you've got, instead of two guys going to the same place, you've got uh, uh, two guys going to different places and spread, spreading the gospel. So even though Paul was mad at Mark for a while, the good news is they eventually did reconcile. We can read about this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 24, also Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, 
where they eventually did get uh, back together. And it is said that uh, Paul, excuse me, that uh, Mark visited with Paul in uh, Rome, probably, probably in Rome when Paul was in prison. Okay. Um, Mark wrote this gospel. It is generally thought to be between 60 and 70 AD. And he wrote it probably while he was in Rome. Why would he have been in Rome? You guessed it. He was a disciple of Peter who went to, uh, to Rome. Uh, one difference between Mark's gospel and Matthew's is the, uh, that Mark wrote his gospel primarily for Gentiles, for Christians, for new converts to the faith that were not former Jews. And you'll recall when we talked about Matthew's gospel, we said no. Uh, Matthew's gospel was written for Jews so that they could realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that the Jewish uh, prophets had, had written. So that's why you're not going to see so many references uh, in Mark as you would in Matthew to Old Testament uh, prophecies. So a difference in emphasis, and that's very important. Um, again, I think I said Mark's gospel is the oldest of the, uh, of, of the three Matthew, Mark, and Luke gospels, also known as the synoptic gospels. Um, they're called synoptics, by the way, because synoptic, um, to see together, optic. Uh, so they're telling kind of the same stories, um, but they each would have their own emphases. So I think you heard me say Mark's gospel starts right off in the public ministry of Jesus, no infancy stories, etc. It's uh, the least polished of the gospels. Mark was probably not a very educated man. It's very simple. Um, and even though we see some of this in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's, what I'm about to say is, uh, is, is very apparent that the apostles themselves look pretty bad and kind of stupid to Mark. Um, even Peter is slow, is, is uh, reported as being a little slow to catch on to uh, Jesus' ultimate idea of, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, you know, I'm doing it for the salvation of man, etc. Now, why do you suppose that is? Well, if... Um, Mark's gospel is also known as the gospel according to or the gospel of Peter. And Mark is listening to Peter tell him all these stories. You can just imagine Peter as re, he's recounting the stories. Peter's probably saying, you know, Jesus kept telling us this thing about he was going to die and then he was going to be resurrected on the third day. And we, we trusted the guy, but we didn't really understand. We didn't totally get him until after he was resurrected. And that actually happened. And then we started to get it. Interestingly, the people, uh, nobody in this gospel seems to get who Jesus really is, except for, you guessed it, some Gentiles. The Pharisees don't understand, misunderstand Jesus' mission. Um, his own relatives, that is to say his cousins, um, depending on the translation that you have, it's probably referred to as Jesus' brothers, but as we covered in Matthew's gospel, they were really cousins. Um, there was no word 
for cousin in Aramaic, so brother referred to any male relative. But uh, Jesus' brothers didn't get him. You know, they thought he was kind of nuts, really. Um, uh, that is to say, Jesus' cousins. Uh, his native townspeople don't get Jesus. His own disciples don't totally understand his mission. Um, and Mark's gospel doesn't show that they, they really understand it. There's a hint that they start to uh, after the, uh, the resurrection of Christ. But, uh, you know, the, uh, some Gentiles understand Jesus' mission. Now, why is that important? Remember, we said Mark writes his gospel for the benefit of Gentiles. So, um, you know, who are new to the faith. So he's going to make them look good. Uh, put that put that spin on it, if you will. But I maintain the main reason why Mark makes the apostles look a little dim is because um, Peter recounted to Mark that, hey, we were a little dim. We didn't get it until the resurrection. And quite frankly, uh, were it not for the resurrection of Jesus, and the fact that 500 people uh, were witnesses to that, as we will see when we get to the book of Acts, uh, I probably wouldn't uh, believe in, in Jesus as who he said he was. But uh, the resurrection changes things. When you, when you experience the resurrected Christ, as all of us do each time we receive communion, uh, we can have a greater understanding of Christ's, what Christ's position should be in our lives. So, Matthew's gospel emphasizes the actions of Jesus. Jesus is basically an action hero, if you will. Um, we, we see that he's doing, doing things, one, one action of Jesus follows another. So again, if you're looking for teachings of Jesus, you're not going to find a lot of them in Matthew. And, of course, if you're looking for prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus, you're not going to find them in Mark. You'll find them again in, in Matthew. Uh, a second ago, I might have said, if you're looking for teaches, you're not gonna, teachings, you're not going to find them in Mark. You'll find them in what I meant to say is you'll find those teachings more in Matthew's gospel. Uh, another somewhat distinctive of Mark's gospel is what we call the messianic secret. Where uh, in Mark, again, Jesus, the man of action, the action hero, he heals people and then he says, don't tell anybody about it. Don't tell anybody about it. Um, keep it a secret. Why? Because Jesus does not want to be uh, thought of as the Messiah just because of physical miracles. He wants to be known as the Messiah because of what he is about to do. You know, what is he's going to die on the cross for uh, the forgiveness of sins for those who will believe in him. And uh, so he doesn't want people to believe in him for the wrong uh, reason. Okay. So that said, I think we have an understanding. Oh, one other thing uh, that Mark gives us, maybe to a greater degree than uh, Matthew or Luke, is the feelings of Jesus at different points in the gospel. And I won't go through them all. We see how Jesus feels apprehension. He feels anger. He feels triumph. He feels sympathy. He feels surprise, admiration, sadness, and indignation. 
So it really emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. Really, so does uh, Matthew and Luke. But we get a little more of a hint of the feelings of Jesus, uh, how he felt as a human being in, in Mark. Um, so that said, I think that... Um, um, also, I think I mentioned that Mark's gospel is the shortest gospel. Um, Mark was not one of the apostles, okay? I think I may have mentioned that before. He was instead a young man who followed uh, Jesus around. I think I said he was thought to be the first streaker, but he was kind of a, a hanger-oner, if you will, of, of, of the twelve. But I think, nonetheless, he had a very unique perspective. I also want to touch on the, uh, the, the ending of Mark's gospel. Scholars pretty much agree that Mark's gospel, as he wrote it, ended with Mark chapter 16, verse 8. Uh, and then other uh, you know, the last part of uh, chapter 16 was kind of added on later on, sometime before 100 AD. Somebody might point that out to you and say, how can you believe in a gospel when Mark didn't even write all of, of Mark, or the author of Mark didn't even write all of Mark, and it was added on later on? Well, let's talk about why. Um, the, the part that Mark wrote ended with, uh, uh, had a very strange ending talks about the resurrection of Jesus, but there's there's really no resurrection appearances of Jesus in what Mark wrote in uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. It just uh, says, you know, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices to the tomb, and uh, they, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, um, they entered the tomb. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a white robe. They were utterly amazed. He said to them, do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. So what did they do? According to the last thing that Mark wrote, then they went out and fled from the tomb, seized with trembling and bewilderment. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Oh, no, that's a terrible ending. So according to what Mark wrote, what is attributed specifically to Mark, yes, there was a resurrection. Yes, there was a young man in other accounts. He's referred to as an angel. But, uh, you know, who said, hey, Jesus is gone. Yes, the tomb is empty and all that. But then they leave and they don't tell anybody, at least according to Mark's ending. So what was added later on, sometime before 100 AD, is where, uh, uh, you know, she does go and tell his companions. And uh, they didn't believe either. But then they do um, in this uh, verse 12 of chapter 16, there is a reference to Jesus appearing to two disciples walking along the way to the country. 
And uh, we recognize that as another way of talking about on the road to Emmaus, which is much further developed in the Gospel of Luke that we, uh, we talk about. And then we see later on, I mean, in, in, the, in the rest of this chapter, the last chapter, chapter 16, whereas the 11 were at table, he does appear to them and rebuke them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. And he says in verse 16, whoever believes, so that's important, and is baptized, so apparently baptism is important, will be saved. Um, we talked in Matthew's gospel about what it means to believe. It's not an intellectual assent, but rather a life that has changed that bears fruit, as uh, Matthew's gospel so often talks about. And uh, now we have this weird thing. He says, uh, uh, verse 18, they, those people who believe, will pick up serp serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. Um, so there are some fundamentalist churches in America, uh, particularly in the southeastern parts of the United States, that take that literally. We take that uh, as Jesus speaking in hyperbole, uh, you know, that, you know, if you die as a believer, yeah, you won't be harmed. Your eternal life won't be harmed. But don't try this at home, okay? Don't pick up serpents and say, hey, I'm not going to get hurt. Don't drink poison and say, I'm not going to get hurt. Don't try this at home, okay? We take that as being uh, metaphorical. But I think it's uh, useful to know, in case you get in any discussions with people that, uh, that are unbelievers, that yes, it is true. We acknowledge that uh, Matthew did, or excuse me, that Mark did not write you know, the last, uh, you know, 11, 12 verses of, of, uh, of the, what is attributed to him. But yet it is canonical. Why? Because the church says that it is. And why does the church have the power to say it's canonical? Because the, Jesus started one church, gave that church the power to bind and loose. And uh, whatever is bound by the church is, is bound in heaven. And that's the way it is. So let's go, uh, let, let's pray. Um, that's about all I want to say about Mark. But um, um, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we thank you for um, Mark's gospel. We recognize the uniqueness of it. And although much of it is uh, pronounced elsewhere, um, we thank you that you emphasize Jesus' actions over his words. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, we ask that you would help us in our own lives to recognize that our actions need to follow our words. So help us to be men of action as is portrayed um, most, most fully in Mark's gospel. Well, next, uh, next time we're going to begin looking at the Gospel of Luke and the differences between it and what we've covered in, let's say, Matthew's Gospel. Um, so come back for that. As always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. Until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. Bible Study.